0: Welcome to Modern Signed Books on Blog Talk Radio. If you're interested in what makes your favorite authors and collectors tick, then you'll love hearing what they have to say in our live interviews. Learn how they got started writing, the books and authors that inspired them, what they have in their personal collections, and much more. Meet today's hottest authors as they discuss their life and writing in revealing conversations with our book specialist, Roger Nichols and find us at modernsignbooks.blogspot.com. Now sit back and enjoy a few minutes
1: with Modern Sign Books. Here's Roger. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. One of the most fascinating developments in forensic science is the inspired work of Dr. William M. Bass on establishing the University of Tennessee Anthropological Research Facility, more properly known as the Body Farm. Back in 1981, it was the first scientific facility for the study of the decomposition of human remains. Now, that would be fascinating in and of itself, and Dr. Bass is the author or co-author of more than 200 scientific publications, but fast forward to 2002, and he meets up with a writer named John Jefferson who comes on the scene to write a pair of documentaries from National Geographic about the body farm. That led to Jefferson helping Dr. Bass with a memoir in 2003 called Death's Acre, and that led to a series of collaborative crime fiction novels under the pen name of Jefferson Bass. So combining Dr. Bass's fascinating depth of knowledge with Jefferson's deft handling at plotting and character development led to a literary tag team rivaling those of a pair of cousins from Brooklyn that created Ellery Queen. The latest Jefferson Bass body farm adventure is without mercy. We're very pleased to welcome Dr. Bill Bass.
0: Thank you, sir.
1: That's, uh-huh. I'm
0: going to need you to well, I'm running for president to... <laughs> Get me ready for the people to
1: vote there. <laughs> all, right, all right. So I, in in other interviews, you've indicated that uh, a, something that kind of started you along the career was cattle rustling in Kansas.
0: That's right. Do you want me to give you a little history of that?
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, I taught for 11 years at the University of Kansas at large from 1960 to 71 identified skull remains for law enforcement agencies in Kansas, particularly the Kansas Bureau of Investigation. And in the late 60s, they were having trouble with cattle rustling in western Kansas. If you watch western movies, uh, the bad guys, you know, will herd up the cows, they'll drive over the hills, and they're gone. But that's not what happens today. Uh, the bad guys today either own or rent a refrigerated truck And what they will do is they will drive out all these large ranches in western Kansas or Oklahoma or Texas or Colorado or Nebraska, that area. And they will butcher the cows in the field, hang the meat up, and drive off. The rancher will come along a week or two or three weeks later and find all these dead cow carcasses lying around. And the question then for law enforcement is, how long have these cows been dead? This then gives them an idea of where to look in the sale of the meat so I got a letter from Harold Nye who at that time was director of the Kansas River Investigation asking me if I could look at a cow carcass and tell how long they had been dead well I couldn't and I looked in the literature and there wasn't anything in the literature on this and I wrote Harold a letter I said Harold we don't know the answer to this but if you could get a rancher to kill a cow, I will look at it every day to see what happens, to see if we can uh, determine how long it takes for a cow to de- to, to decay uh, down to bone. And I signed my name to it, and it's interesting you're thinking about things you don't realize you're thinking about. I put a P.S. on that letter, and I said, "Hell." Oh, we really need for the rancher to give us four cows, one spring, one summer, one fall, and one winter, because your major factor in decay is temperature. You decay faster in the summer than you do in the winter. Uh, nothing ever happened to that. I I came to the University of Tennessee on June the 1st of 1971, and I... Uh, nothing Nothing got done in that Kansas situation. However, I knew the medical examiner here in Tennessee. The medical examiner at that time was a man named Jerry Francisco. He is a forensic pathologist over in the medical school in Memphis. And Dr. Francisco had helped me gather data for some of my doctoral students at the University of Kansas. And I wrote the medical examiner and said, I'm coming to Tennessee and... Dr. Francisco writes back and says, will you serve on the medical examiner's staff in Tennessee to identify skeletal remains? And I said, sure, I'd be happy to. So it wasn't long after June the 1st of 71 that bodies started coming in for me to look at and identify and to determine how long they had been dead. Police essentially ask you two questions. They ask you, who is it and how long have they been dead? Uh, I would assume that that means that, you know, that they would have a timeline of where to look at where he was at you know, two weeks or or six weeks before and so that they could begin to talk to people who had last seen him. Well, I didn't, again, didn't know anything about you know, length of time since then. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to be talking to the police I better know what I'm talking about. And so I went to the dean in the fall of 71. I went to the dean and and asked him if I could have some land to put dead bodies on. And he sent me over to the agricultural campus to the man who handles land in the University of Tennessee system. And I started with a sow barn at what is called a Holston Farm, which is up where the Holston and the French Broad Rivers come together to make the Tennessee River. In the 60s before I came, the university had been in the pig-raising business, and they were getting out of the pig-raising business. And they had all these sow barns sitting around that really weren't being occupied. So I began to look at, uh, you know, looking at bodies to see, okay, what, what happens in this process? And I used that facility from 71 to 80 and we had started a graduate program, we started a master's in 73 and a doctoral program in 75. And I was getting students who were interested in doing research in the area. Uh, I needed a place really closer in. It takes about 45 minutes to get out to the south or to go out and, and come back. And I, um, business was picking up. We were killing our friends and neighbors at a faster rate of speed, I reckon. Anyway. Uh, we uh, I went back to the dean, and the dean gave me two acres back to the University of Tennessee Hospital. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was when we really first started to do research on what happens uh, when a body begins to decay. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it's, I, it's sorry it took so long there, but you shouldn't ask a faculty member a question. He's got to <laughs> go back and
1: discover the wheel and then come forward all right but, but that's the fascinating background to it it's a it's a great story the thing one of the things that really gives texture to these books is the fact that most of us as readers love to get inside information this is what what are the experts do we haven't got time to become experts but what we're really interested is some of the interesting bits and pieces i mean a lot of any particular profession is a lot of drudgery, but the intriguing bits and that's what comes through here and um I think I was impressed by the fact that you note in in this latest one, Without Mercy, uh, that you would think that you get your best DNA from, you know, big bones, uh, humerus or femur and whatnot, but actually after 9-11 they were able to cover more DNA from finger and toe bones. That's not something you'd think about. It's counterintuitive, but it's an interesting piece of fact. Well, uh,
0: when when I first started the body farm, we were essentially looking at, How long does it take the right arm to fall off approach? In other words, it was more anatomical, uh, type of things. Now, this whole field has grown tremendously, uh, since 1970. And particularly the discovery of DNA in the, essentially in the early 90s was, uh, people begin to use that technology. Uh, isotopes now, uh, We can uh, take a sample and figure out from the isotopes uh, that are there uh, where that individual grew up. There are maps of the world showing where uh, various minerals or various isotopes occur. For example, iron or uh, things of that nature. And so you can get an idea of where people have grown up. Essentially, your body is a is a book, and that book is a history of your life, and if you know how to read that book, this is using uh, isotopes and DNA and all that sort of stuff, that can give you a pretty good idea of where that individual was born, and where they grew up, and so forth. So we're getting way past the the gross anatomy, if you want to say it that way, of how long did it take the right arm to fall off, beginning to look at uh, some of the minerals and the elements that are in the muscles uh, and, you know, getting a much better picture of who an unknown individual is and where they came from. Yeah.
1: Fascinating stuff. Absolutely. You know, it it does not take a lot of speculation to note that the hero of these novels happens to be a forensic anthropologist at the University of Tennessee who created a body farm whose first name happened to be Bill. Just how much of the character of Dr. Bill Brockton is you?
0: Well, Dr. Bill Brockton does things that Dr. Bill Bass wouldn't do. (laughs) Uh, I don't drink or smoke. And Dr. Brockton... We don't say much about his drinking, but uh, he chews tobacco, uh, at least in one of the books he does. He gets sick from that, but uh, Dr. Procton does things the Bill Bass wouldn't do, but it makes for a better book. I mean, it makes for (laughs) you wonder what he's going to do now, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff, again. One of the the things that I've discovered is that as a result of reading this, I now know what a striker autopsy saw is and looked it up, and by golly, it's exactly as described in the book. So you feel kind of like you're in the inside, and I like that.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I've always felt like I mean, I'm I'm a teacher, and if you go to teach the students, uh, you want to tell them how it occurred or... Uh, what were the procedures that led up to what you're looking at? And striker saws are great. Uh, striker saws operate on the principle of vibration, where it's, it's vibrating from left back to right and back to left and right. And It was originally uh, designed to cut a cast off of broken legs, <laughs> Mm-hmm. You would get somebody that broke their leg, and they have a cast, and uh, you want to take that cast off. The theory behind that is that ice, it, it vibrates, in other words. And if you push down, when it gets to the skin, the skin will will vibrate, and you won't cut the skin. Now, you can cut the skin if you press hard enough, mm-hmm. but normally people wouldn't, wouldn't do that. I use them all the time for uh, taking samples of bone. You want to take a sample of bone to see if, if this person matches the DNA of the person they think it is. And so what you're taking is either, you're either taking uh, a tooth or you take a sample from the more dense bones like the femur, which is the bone in the upper leg. And what you can do is a striker saw. You can take a sample of that and then send it to a lab, and they can extract the DNA of that. Uh, and this is another way of identifying an individual.
1: In this particular book, there's, there's a lot more of the interior dialogue. You, you get more into the feelings of, of uh, Dr. Brockton. How close does that match? I mean, there's kind of a melancholy feel to this particular book.
0: Well, yeah, uh, but let me be really honest with you and tell you that I have lost two wives to cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had two great wives. Unfortunately, one of them had colon cancer and the other one had lung cancer. And the Dr. Bachman's wife in the books is based upon... My first wife, whose name was Ann, uh, she and I met in the Korean War. I was assigned to the Army Medical Research Laboratory, and she was an Army dietitian. And we met and got married in 53, and we had three sons. Uh, when we got out, I finished my education and got a doctorate in anthropology, and she finished her education and got a doctorate degree in food science and nutrition. And when we came here, here being Tennessee, uh, she taught in home economics, and I taught in anthropology. So uh, the, the situation in the body Farm novel series is uh, its essentially based on that marriage. Uh, there, there's some things that are different in the books. We have only two sons in real life. We had three sons, uh, but uh, in general, it follows what happened, to be honest with you.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: It's an official story really based on real life or science. The, What what happens in, you know, you don't get many writers like John and me. (laughs) This has worked out really really well. John comes up with a story. Uh, Let's go back to Carbon Bone, which was the first of the books we did, because this is easy to illustrate there. John decided he wanted to write a fictional book. And I said, okay, John. Uh, So you come up with a story, and I'll do the science. So John wants a body in a cave. I said, okay, John, is this a wet cave or a dry cave? Because it will make a difference in how that body decayed. If you're in a dry cave, this would be something like the Gobi Desert or the coast of Peru or the southwestern part of the United States, Arizona, New Mexico, where it's really dry. That body will dehydrate and you'll end up with it as a mummy. However, if the cave is wet like it is in in the eastern or most of the United States, the body decays, the fat in the body goes through a chemical process and ends up in what is called grave wax. Uh, if you look at the old literature, you will see quite frequently the term grave wax being used. But what that grave wax is really, it's adipose seer. Uh, It's adipose tissue in which the fat has turned to a soapy-like substance known as adipose seer. So John, I said, okay, John, is it a wet cave or a dry cave? And he said, okay, it's a wet cave. So in that book, the body that was in that cave, it looks like soap when you discover it. I mean, it's a waxy, kind of soapy-like substance. Mm -hmm. When you do an autopsy on them, (laughs) you can, can do an autopsy, really, by just using the hot water spray of the sink uh-huh. and, uh, you know, just spray the body and it literally the fat just melts away as you're doing, as you're looking at what you're looking for, it just washes away. So, uh, John comes up with a story in these things and I do the science, which theoretically fits the story.
1: hmm and it, it seems to be a fabulous combination, though. I noticed in the acknowledgements at the end, uh, in, in the story, there seems to be a lot of winding up. Uh, Miranda, the assist, assistant, is, is moving on kind of against the doctor's uh, wishes, and, and things are changing. And he goes on a sabbatical, and at the end of the book, it says uh, we're going to put Jonathan Bass on a sabbatical. Is this a pause or a conclusion?
0: Well, I don't know. Uh, Let let me tell you, there's about a 25-year difference between John's age and my age. Mm -hmm. I will be 88 the end of this month, on August the 30th. And John is 63, something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I'm getting to the stage where I would like for John to, to write on his own. This has been good, but at 88, I'm not able to do some of the things I, I used to do, and uh, I don't want to just one day all of a sudden, Bill Bass dies, and John's a going Go do now, you see. Yeah. I'm trying to get to the stage where John, John, you you begin to think about doing this with somebody else or uh, doing it yourself. Uh, we've talked about this over the last couple of books. Uh, I, I won't say it's the last one. Uh, I hope it's not the last one, but you know, given what happens in life, you know, should I develop Alzheimer's or something like that? I don't think I could do what I'm doing. I I, I think I've missed the Alzheimer's. I'm 88 and haven't seen any <laughs> things of that yet, but you, you never know, you know?
1: On behalf of the many readers out there, we'd certainly like to thank you for all of the the wonderful, wonderful bits and pieces and part of that uh, collaboration over the years. And um, ask you one final question, and that is, are you donating your body to the body farm?
0: Like all the other answers I've given you, <laughs> it's not quite yes or no. The answer to that is yes. However, are you familiar with the tri-state crematory in Noble, Georgia, the current about Uh, 10 years ago now, maybe not quite that long. Okay, this is where, instead of cremating bodies, he was just stacking them outside. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the lid blew off of that thing, and I have looked at a quote-identified, unquote, 28 of the cases from the Noble Georgia Crematory. So I kind of got interested in, in cremation. And to make a long story short, just before I retired, I retired in 97, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I retired, I thought, you know, we ought to offer a course on identification of cremated remains. Uh-huh. So I taught a course, taught two semesters of a course in which we would take a cre- take cremations and go through them and see what you can find. And I, that, that's not a bad means of uh, way of, get, of reducing the body to its minimal part. And so I decided at that stage that I would like to be cremated. Now, in addition to the donated collection that we have, where people can donate their body uh, to the anthropology department at the University of Tennessee, uh, we have also started a cremation program, and we're doing the same thing. We prefer, in a cremation, when you're cremated, and turn the gas off to the fire in the crematory oven, and you open the door, you can identify most of the bones. Bones will burn, but they will retain their anatomical shapes, Uh and so you can tell what the bones are. Now, when you get a cremation, what they do is they rake those burned bones out of the cremation oven... Uh, they want to make sure we have so many orthopedic devices in us anymore, uh, hip replacements, knee replacements, you name it. I mean, yeah. there the, literally hundreds and thousands of those things. They don't want to run that through the little blender, uh, what's called a pulverizer. Yeah. Uh, so they will take a magnet and run through these burn bones, and they'll get all the metal out of it that they can find. Then they put those burn bones in a... But essentially, it's an industrial-sized kitchen blender is what it is. Uh Uh, It's about a five-gallon bucket uh, with a shaft in the middle, and uh, there's a little blade in the bottom, and the manufacturer guarantees ashes in 60 seconds. So you Uh put the bones in there, you put the top on, you push the button, and 60 seconds later, you've got these ashes. Well, there are things that will survive that breakdown of the bones. And those are the things that you are looking for when you go through uh, cremated remains. So I decide I want to go that route. Okay. So if you want to come visit me, you, you can do that. You can come and not look at the donated collection. You're looking at the crematory uh, collection that we have. Uh,
1: well, if so, I get, get back to Tennessee, and I hope it's a long time from now, I might just do that.
0: Well, okay. I hope it's a long time from that.
1: too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have really enjoyed, enjoyed talking with you this morning. Oh, thank you so much. Our guest today has been Dr. Bill Bass, uh, part of the Jefferson Bass Writing Duo. Their latest book is called Without Mercy. Signed copies are available at VJ Books, where they are always happy to talk to you. Thank you so much for being with us this morning.
0: Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that.
1: All right. Take care.
0: Okay.
1: bye You've been listening to
0: Modern Sign Books on Blog Talk Radio with book specialist Roger Nichols. Be sure to check us out at modernsignbooks.blogspot.com.